And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show. Of course, it is Wednesday. It's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, uh, good news is this morning, those evil Westerners have beaten Iran in soccer. Now advances on to uh, Netherlands is next up on the list. So U.S., congratulations to the U.S. doing very well in the World Cup. So, so far, so good. I've always got my doubts about the U.S. soccer, but <laughs> we're doing okay. <laughs> What's Russell call them? Short pants sports? Uh, short pants sports and adult kickball. Yes. Yes. So, absolutely. <laughs> if we could only solve all the geopolitical problems with a soccer game. I like to tell you. So, um, my uh, my wife's aunt is dating a, a gentleman from from England. Oh, and and yes. So over Thanksgiving, he was at the house, and we had great debates over <laughs> over soccer versus football. Of course, we're all watching you know NFL football, right? You know, on the big screen. Yeah. And uh, of course, he's like, "This isn't football." I go, "Yeah, I don't see soccer people going out and banging <laughs> each other in the head, right?" So <laughs> that was we had lots of debates over that. <laughs> <laughs> so and, a, and, adult, and adult kickball was kicked around more than once <laughs> yeah. around the house. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, congratulations to the U.S. Though, uh, uh, good job for them. Okay, so a couple of things uh, this morning. Lots of economic data out this morning as we really kind of start heading into the end of the year. We're going to have GDP. It's the second estimate of third quarter's GDP growth this morning. Um, this Friday, of course, is the unemployment number. That's going to be kind of the big report that we'll have going into the Fed meeting on the 14th of December. Today is really kind of the last speech by the Federal Reserve before they go into their blackout window prior to their meeting. Uh, today, Jerome Powell speaks at 1.30 today. All markets will be paying really close attention to that. Markets are, have really kind of been just waffling a bit so far this week. We were down a bit on Monday, down a little smidge yesterday. Uh, markets kind of retesting the bottom of this little consolidation range it's been in. Stocks are going to open up about flattish this morning. Dow's up about 24 points right now. Uh, S&P's up about 8 so a little bit kind of a flat opening. Again, just all kinds of anticipation right now ahead of Jerome Powell's speech. Again, you know, the big concern is, is that he's going to come out and be a bit more hawkish, which would not be surprising as we talked about yesterday. The one thing the Fed does not like is these kind of bullish moves in the markets on anticipation that they're going to you know, stop hiking rates or they're going to pivot on their policy. They've been very clear that is not the case. But markets tend to rally anyway, thinking that they might change their mind, hopefully. And, you know, it's like, it's like my daughter goes to ask my mom some, her mom something, and mom says no, so she comes to ask me, right? So it's, it's kind of this idea with the markets. So, well, maybe if one Fed speaker says something a little different, maybe the other ones will listen. Um, that's not really been the case here. So expect a bit of a hawkish tone today from Powell that could put markets under pressure by the end of the day. We'll see. The, the, the big news, of course, the big important point about this, though, is that yesterday's price action has gotten us very close to triggering that MACD sell signal, which has been a really good indicator 
uh, over the course of this year for reducing exposure into stocks. It was a good indicator to buy going into this rally. Uh, we've been using this kind of rally to sell and reduce exposure in portfolios. Getting close to the sell signal has been a good signal for reducing exposure. So this is a, a good, if you're going to do it, this is a good time to do it heading into the end of the year. So uh, again, uh, that, that speech at 1.30 today. You know, outside of that, we're starting to see really kind of implications of more and more kind of economic weakness. Home prices declined sharp. We had the home price index yesterday. The Case-Shiller index came out yesterday. Um, home prices have declined sharply over the course of the last several months. Not surprising, high interest rates at, you know, 7% mortgage rates tends to do that to home prices. Sellers kind of start to reduce their home prices. One of the big kind of anomalies, I guess, or, or interesting points is that there's a lot of people saying, hey, there's still a shortage of inventory. Well, you know, we're seeing inventories come up, right? And, and definitely seeing inventories rise as more houses are sitting on the markets for longer. Those inventories are starting to rise. That's bringing under pressure more home prices as and, and, and the individuals kind of step back. We're also seeing a lot of price reductions, seeing more houses that are sitting on the markets now starting to cut their home prices to try to find a buyer. So again, doesn't mean that there's no act activity going on at all. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen houses, you know, get listed and they sell within a couple of weeks, you know, if they're priced right. So, but that's always the case. There's always somebody willing to buy a house no matter what the mortgage rate is because they need to buy a house. They're, they're getting transferred to some, to some area. Uh, job move, whatever it is, they're going to buy a house. But interestingly enough, the affordability of buying a new home right now is much more expensive than actually renting an apartment. So this has been uh, the problem with these accelerating home prices is that these accelerating home prices have priced a lot of first-time home buyers out of buying a house because it's cheaper to rent. But again, we're starting to see that come down. Now, the reason this is all important is that when you take a look at the CPI index, this is one of the, the, the big factors we've all been paying attention to this year, of course, the inflation run. Um, you know, the hope is, is inflation is going to come down, so the federal stock hiking rates. Well, a very large chunk, over a third of the CPI calculation is built on what's called homeowner's equivalent rent. That is, a, and, and that pulls in really kind of a combination of rental prices as well as home prices. Uh, homeowners equivalent rent is, is a survey that homeowners are asked, so what would you rent your house for? And of course, if the house price is coming down, that homeowners equivalent rent is also gonna come down as well. So again, we're starting to see the impact of that. That's gonna feed into that CPI report over the next couple of months. So again, we have two things going on with the CPI report that'll be important over the next several months. One, the year-over-year -year comparisons are very high. We're now moving into a period of time where we're gonna be comparing against 0 0.8, 0 0.91, 1.2% increases on a year-over-year -year basis in inflation. So those, those big jumps in inflation are now gonna make the year-over-year -year comparisons a lot lower. But the second thing also is, is that we're also starting to see a deflationary impact or a disinflationary impact come in as we get more demand destruction within the economy. Again, high mortgage prices bringing down, uh, uh, sorry, high mortgage rate prices bringing down uh, home prices. So that's all gonna feed in that CPI calculation. So we will see weaker levels of CPI over the course of the next several months as it's reported, as these factors continue to filter in. That is gonna start to, uh, again, encourage 
you know, the bulls in some aspect, when we see these weaker inflation numbers, they're going to go, okay, this means the Fed's going to pivot. Well, the Fed's not going to pivot yet until they get inflation down quite a bit. That's not going to be until later next year. We're not going to start approaching, you know, two and three percent inflation rates until we get into the latter part of next year. The Fed still at this point, their goal is to hike rates, not only 50 basis points in December, which could be 75. Uh, depending, and this is something that, will, that people will glean today, potentially from Jerome Powell's comments, but 50 basis points is what ex is expected. Two to three rate hikes next year of 25 basis points. So again, the Fed is still hiking rates. They are not pausing, they are not reducing, and each one of these rate hikes are a break on economic activity. Now, the goal of the Fed is, is to hike in, in interest rates to the point that we then kind of hold at that level for some period of time. That's assuming, of course, that nothing breaks in the economy. We don't have a deep recession, those type of things. Assuming all things remain status quo, that's the plan. But of course, as is always the case, the best laid plans don't always work out so well. But we'll talk about that. Hey, if you need to get uh, some tax work done uh, by the end of the year, uh, we've talked about tax loss harvesting, might be another way to help save your taxes next year and do a good thing with some stock that you own. We'll talk about that with Danny Ratliff right out of the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Last uh, few weeks, uh, we've been talking about doing some tax loss harvesting heading into the end of the year. This is that kind of good time of the year to start thinking about what you can do with your portfolio to generate some, you know, some tax advantages, right? So, and, and again, that's part of tax loss harvesting. Again, to talk about um, just a quick recap, tax loss harvesting, you sell a stock that you've lost money in this year, you take that loss. Um, and then you can deduct that against your gains on your on your portfolio for the year. So, you know, going into next year, that can reduce your overall capital gains that you have. Or you can take $3,000 of your losses against your ordinary income. Danny's here, certified financial planner. He can correct me if I misstate anything. Uh, of course, the trick with tax loss harvesting is if I sell Microsoft today, I can't buy it back for 31 days. Otherwise, I void out that tax loss. Uh, harvest that I've done. Uh, another thing that you can also think about doing this year and kind of do some something good with your portfolio is you can also gift stock. And this is this time, that's kind of the time, this is the time of the year to think about, you know, doing that. We A lot of people want to do charitable donations going into the year, end of the year uh, for the tax benefits. Uh, you can also gift stock. And so if you've got a position in your portfolio, 
Um, this is a good time of the year that you can donate that stock out, get it out of your portfolio, take the charitable deduction for that. Danny, your thoughts? No, I think it's a great aspect and something that many people overlook. Now, there's several issues, pros and cons with any of these types of strategies. And the number one being, I see a lot of times somebody's on their deathbed, Lance, <laughs> and, and they want to give stock because they think it's going to benefit themselves and their heirs. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's not typically the case because most people are going to receive a step up in cost basis upon their passing. So if you have somebody, you know, if a loved well, one is can, sick. Can, can you hold that real quick yeah. just and just explain that? Because I think a lot of people don't understand that is, you know, let's say I own a stock at Fifty dollars. Yep. And and I'm and I pass away and I and I and I grant that or I pass that on to my heirs, which is Brent Clanton at this point, right? So, but now the stock's two hundred dollars a share. So the cost basis for Brent is now two hundred dollars a share. There's a step up in that cost basis. Correct. Which is you know so if you ever are gifted stock, sell it immediately. Your taxes are zero. You can always buy it back later. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a well it, and let's say that two hundred dollars a share that Brent received. He could hold it, and let's say it went up to two fifty. Well, right. then he would only be responsible for fifty dollars, and is fifty dollars is going to be taxed for capital right. gains. Right. So that's going to be a really nice aspect. So kind of jumping off base, just a tad bit, but it is something that we hear frequently, um, and I think people utilize the strategy without consulting with their CPAs, tax advisors, financial advisors, and that's where a lot of people can get can get in trouble. But this is a great time of year, so you know people call it like a virtual stocking stuffer. Yeah. Um, you know you can gift stocks. Now, everybody has a, a, a full gift exemption. It's going to be similar or as, same as a uh, estate exemption. So currently that's over $12 million. Every year though, you can only give $16,000 mm -hmm. um, without having to make sure you're filing with your CPA. So if you're, you're, you're married, mm -hmm. you want to give a gift to a child, you could give up to $32,000. So there's some there's some really nice aspects to this because you're going to forego paying that capital gains tax. So if you've had a really nice year, you want to you know you're not going to get a tax break for that gift mm. like you would with a charity. But certainly something I think that is often overlooked and probably not done frequently enough. Mm. So yeah, and again, there's just uh, you know this is that time of year to start thinking about talking to your CPA, talking to your tax professional. If you don't have one um, and you have you know you're making decent income and you've got you know, a good bit of, of financial net worth may be worth talking to a CPA. I mean, Intuit, TurboTax, those type of things, those are fine, but, you know, potentially you miss a lot of the, the loopholes, so to speak, where you can take advantage of things. Just, again, just, you know, something to think about as you start heading into the year, because we've been talking a lot about tax locks harvesting, but there's also some other things you can be doing to also think about your portfolio and how to mitigate some of your tax liability going into next year. Well, and that's right. If you're looking to give a gift anyways to a child per se, and they're going to be in a much lower tax bracket. So if you are single, they make less than 44625 then they don't pay any taxes yeah. on that. Zero. And, yeah. You know, look, and a lot of people are, uh, you know, I have a lot of, of people I work with. They're, you know, uh, very religious and they tithe 10% of their income every year to their church. You don't have to actually give to your church. You don't have to give them actual cash. You can also donate stock to your church as yeah. part of your tithe as well. Yeah. So, so you can give, you know, directly. So right now we're also doing a lot of qualified uh, charitable distributions for people who are over required minimum distribution age, which is 72. When the IRS begins starting, they, they make you start taking funds out for those of you that don't know. Um, but you can actually, once you start taking your RMDs, you can take up to $100,000 and gift that. Mm. 
mm-hmm. without being taxed. So you can give that directly to the church, to the uh, Humane Society, whatever it may be, as long as it's a it's a qualified charity. So there's a lot of neat things that you can do to to start to mitigate and think about ways that you can you can stop paying as much in taxes. So one mistake I see a lot of people make, though, Lance, when it comes to like tithing, is that they'll actually give they'll give throughout the year, right? right. And just do it out of their their pocket, right? So they're gifting from their checking account. Well, they're still required to take this distribution. So instead of doing that, just take the distribution and give that directly to the church, right? If that's going to be the case. So there's a lot of little loopholes or, or just ways to think about this. And I think that it's just not talked about often enough. And you know, I'm glad we're talking about it today because you know, getting towards that time of year where you know, people are making last minute kind of concessions, understanding what they're doing, how they're going to do it. Um, you know, if you haven't already done these things, now's the time to start thinking about it. Uh, speaking of that, to to you know, one thing is is that we're moving into the year, and so a lot of people they want to donate to or contribute to an IRA or uh, you know for the end of the year, right, to get the tax deduction for the IRA. Correct. Uh, one thing that I get a lot of questions on is they go, "Oh, I need to open up an IRA," and that's fine, no problem with that. If you already have an IRA, you don't have to open up a new IRA every year. No, that's right. I mean, who wants to manage an IRA for every year that you're making contributions, yeah. right? Uh, that that can be tough. So, no, you can use the same IRA. Just make sure that you're making contributions and that you're they're going to track this for you. So these custodians do a really good job of making sure, hey, you can contribute this amount. You've only put in $2,000. Here's how much more you can put in. Um, I think that uh, one of the bigger problems, though, is that everybody thinks that you can only contribute up until – December 31st. Right. And now that is the case with the 401k and, and some other types of retirement savings accounts. However, with an IRA, you can actually tr- contribute up until you file your taxes. Or I think this year it's going to be April 17th instead of right. April 15th. Now, does the IRA have to be open, though, in the given tax year? No. Or can I actually open it the day before I file taxes? You could open it at any time okay. prior to filing taxes. There you go. So all good stuff to know. Um, all right. So a couple other things as, you know, kind of, again, as you start, th- we've been, again, you know, this whole conversation started with tax loss harvesting, which we've been talking about a good bit here. That only applies, by the way, tax loss harvesting only applies to taxable accounts. Um, this is kind of one of the reasons why, you know, generally we see a lot of people taking a lot of portfolio risk in their IRAs. Um, and they're going, well, you know, I can make a bunch of money in my IRA and, and I don't have to pay tax on it. Well, you do. You just and you pay. In fact, you pay. It's really not as great because if you make a bunch of money in your IRA, yeah, it's all tax deferred. But you pay normal income tax on everything you take out versus capital gains, which is a much lower rate. You should run your IRA extremely conservatively. If in fact, you know, if I had my dithers, your IRA should be only fixed income. You should only buy bonds because your income tax or your interest income is taxed at normal income tax. So yeah, your interest income will grow over time tax deferred, you're still going to pay normal income tax taking it out of your IRA. Take all your speculative investing risk in a taxable account because that way you can offset gains and losses. Your dividends are, are taxed at a dividend tax rate. Your capital gains are at a capital gains rate versus normal income, which is coming out of your IRA. So just something to think about. But again, you, you kind of give up some good tax benefits by doing all your aggressive stock trading inside of your IRA, trying to avoid paying taxes now, but your taxes are actually cheaper coming out of a taxable account when you start offsetting gains and losses, which you're going to have. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, Lance, because most of mainstream media is going to tell you the opposite, right? They're going to say, put everything aggressive in that 401k and pre-tax accounts and and let it grow. 
Well, that's great, but you also have to think about tax ramifications on the backside. And so I like what you're saying in the sense that, you know, if you, you're going to be trading in, a, in, a, in stocks, you're not always going to have all winners. I know it, it's felt like that for years, right? <laughs> but it, it does give you the opportunity to be a little bit more conscious and, and do some tax loss harvesting, understanding, you know, how you can actually mitigate taxes a little bit longer. But ideally for me, Lance, I'd love to see people utilize, you know, Roth 401ks, uh, permanent life insurance, sure. things like that, that you can actually, you're not worried about taxes at all. So it doesn't really matter what you yeah. have in those types of accounts. You let those things grow. And, you know, another thing right now, a lot of people are thinking about maxing out 401ks. They're saying, okay, here's how much more I need to do. I need to up my percentage by this amount. Um, keep in mind, you don't have, and here's one thing I, I hear a lot, Lance, is that they say, well, I can't put those funds into a Roth. I make too much money. Well, that's, that, you, that may be right. You may be phased out because of income on contribute to a Roth IRA, but a Roth 401k has no income limitations. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. You can certainly max that out. It's going to be... If, if you have one available. Yeah. And most people, you know, we're finding more and more people do. It used to be that only a handful of 401ks did. Now I think that, I'm not going to say the... Uh, it's over the majority. Um, but it's certainly um, something that people just don't... They don't think about. They don't look into yeah. as, as frequently as they should. So I would encourage everybody to go see if you have the ability to do so. If you do, go max that out. Um Put money aside and start thinking about the hierarchy of where you're putting those funds as well. Should you max out your HSA for this year and don't use it? Um, you know, can you do that and your 401k? You know, if not, I can make an argument to go to the HSA before you do the 401k or Roth 401k. So a lot of things to get into, though, Lance, when it comes to that. You know, one other thing we didn't talk about, donor advised funds. Well, you know, when we go back to the strategy. break, because uh, also we'll talk about RMDs because we're getting to that point of the year where you've got to get your RMD done. Yep. That's your required minimum distribution. What happens to your RMD in a down year? We'll talk about that when we come back from Danny Ratliff right after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me, talking a little bit about year-end things that we need to get done as we start to, you know, get ready to wrap up the year. Uh, of course, you know, kind of all hoping for the Santa Claus rally right around the corner. Um, we've got some hurdles to get through between now and then being Jerome Powell's speech this afternoon. Uh, then we've got employment on Friday, CPI coming up, 
and then the Fed meeting on the 14th where they'll hike rates you know, by at least 50 basis points, if not more. Uh, all of that potentially weighing on markets. Then the you know, much vaunted year-end rally as mutual fund managers you know, start uh, repositioning for the new year. Uh, January, biggest inflows of the year. That month has more inflows than the rest of the year combined. That's all the 401k contributions, SEP IRAs, 529s, every, like Danny was talking about a second ago. Right after the end of the year, a lot of people are funding these things uh, in the month of January, getting ready for their tax filing. So have lots of inflows coming in in January. Typically get a little bit of a boost in January. Um, if we're going to get a recession, we'll see something probably second quarter, third quarter next year in terms of recession. It's going to be a challenging several months. Not, nothing to say about that. Anyway, but that we're talking about now for end of the year, a lot of things we got to get done. We left off talking a, a little bit about RMDs. These are the required minimum distributions. So if you have an IRA and you're over a specific age, 72, 72, um, and it's the and it's the year you turn 72, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, you have to take an RMD. Uh, this required minimum distribution out of your IRA. Now, there's a, there's a whole mathematical calculation for it, et cetera. But there's an interesting you know, thing about that is what happens, Danny, to RMDs when you have a negative return year like we have this year? Most, most everybody's been taking RMDs on growing portfolios. This is the first year they're going to have to take an RMD out of a shrinking portfolio. Yeah, so really any year that you're taking RMDs, they're going to look at your 1231, your December 31st balance, and that they have a divisor depending on your age based on actuary tables. And that's going to be contingent on how they come up with the amount that you must take each year. So they'll give you a number. And so I believe the first year is 27.6, 27.4. No, wait, excuse me. 72, because, you know, it used to be 70 and a half. Right, what it right. was. Yeah. It's uh, 25.6 is what that divisor is. So they'll take your balance, you divide it by that, and that's the number that you're going to have to take. So... Most custodians say Fidelity or Schwab, they're going to have it on your statement. Usually it's on your third or fourth page. Uh, it'll say your RMD amount is this. This is how much you've taken already. Here's how much you have remaining for the end, before the end of the year. Now, if this is your first year, I would recommend you take this, and I would get it over with. Now, um, the, the reason being, if you don't take your RMDs or any time, as a matter of fact, they're going to hit you with a 50% excise tax. So if your RMD was $10,000, just for easy math, um, you don't take it, you could potentially be hit with 50% of that from a tax bill. Yeah. That's rough. So I would encourage everybody to make sure that you take it. Um, you understand what you're doing. Um, a lot of changes. You know, you've had, and you know, what's interesting, Lance, is that a lot of people who are grandfathered in, you know, they just switched this a couple years back. Um, a lot of people were taking it at 70 and a half. Then they moved it to 72. Now new talk is they're going to move it to 75. Well, then we've also had a lot of changes with beneficiary IRAs, where beneficiaries have been able to take it over their lifetime as far as those RMDs. So right. if you're a spouse, your spouse dies, you can you can just take their IRA as your own and assume it. Now, historically, if you're if a non-spouse has passed, then it changes the ballgame. Now you have a table, an RMD schedule that you're going to have to take distributions each and every year. Now, this last year, they actually came out and said, look, guys, we're going to change that again. Now, if somebody passes, so moving forward, if you have a loved one pass, um, it's not your spouse you're going to have to take it over a 10-year window. And initially, their their verbiage or what they said, Lance, was that, hey, you, it doesn't matter when you take it. You could take it all in year one. You could take it all in year 10. As long as you take it and it's all done. Well, now they've come out and said, well, the attorneys are viewing this a little bit differently. The IRS is now viewing mm -hmm. this as that you must take 
an RMD each and every year. Now, you can still liquidate it all in year one, but they want to make sure that you're taking that required minimum distribution each and every year. So if you are new to an inherited IRA, make sure you understand the, the ramifications of and how you must take it. And, you know, we're still waiting on them to come back out probably this next year and say, yeah. well, we thought about it again. It's going to be a little bit different. But uh, again, a lot of moving parts. Again, either good financial advisor, good tax accountant, one of the two. Well, I, I think you're always going to need a good, a good tax accountant when yeah. it comes to this. But, you know, the good news is that the custodians are going to be helping you all along the way. Your financial advisor should be able to help you. But the custodians are going to be the ones providing that math. They're going to look yeah. into it and say, here's how much you need to pay or you need to take out. And then, you know, your CPA is going to tell you how much you need to pay. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that's interesting that's coming out of all this is that, you know, first of all, we have a larger number of baby boomers that are reaching that age of, well, previously 70 and a half. And when it was 70 and a half, there was this kind of wave of baby boomers that were approaching that. And the big concern about the financial markets was as well, when all these baby boomers have to start doing RMDs, you know, that's going to that's gonna be a big net drag on the markets because all this money's got to come out. Well, you know, this year, RMDs will be less because a lot of these RMD calculations will be lower in terms of the amount of money that's got to come out because the market's down, right? right. So again, if your portfolio is down 20% this year, your RMD is going to be effectively, quote unquote, 20% less, right? Because the value of the account's down. So that means less drag on the markets coming out from these RMDs because of the negative year. But now they keep kicking the can down the road, right? So we went from 70 and a half to 72, which pushed that wave out. Now they're talking about going to 75, which is pushing that way out, that wave out. So eventually when we get up to pushing that wave out to like 95, we should actually be pretty good. Well, the problem is they keep <laughs> they act like they're doing everybody a favor. Most people need these funds to live on. So they're right. already taking and drawing these accounts yeah. down. Now, here's another strategy that you may or may not have thought of is that if you turn 72 this year, you can actually defer your your distribution until up until March 31st of 2023. But Here's a caveat. You'll be re responsible for taking your RMD for 22 and your RMD for 23 in the same year, which is going to increase your tax burden overall. Yep. So, I mean, there's a handful of ways that you can go about this. Um, I would certainly consult with your CPA, see what the best strategy is for you. If you had a really big income year, well, then maybe it makes sense to defer it, move it out one more uh, one more year. Yeah, so you, so you know, like you got a really big bonus or yeah. a buyout or something this year. That's not going to happen next year, right? Correct. Correct. May help. To, to push that out a bit. Yeah, so so here's another 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 thought kind of along the same vein here. So if you're in a 401k, you're still working, you don't have to take an RMD. But if you've moved those funds to an IRA, you're going to be responsible for taking that required minimum distribution now, even if you're still working or going to continue to work. Yep. So another strategy that may benefit you if you're still, you're still in the workforce, you're over 72, um, keep funds in a 401k. It may be more beneficial to you unless you need those funds. Or you say, you know what? I don't mind pulling money out. A lot of people don't say, hey, I'd rather get the funds out of this, especially if it's pre-tax. That way you have a little bit more bandwidth later. Maybe it's not that you're going to use the funds, but maybe you say, hey, I'm, I'm still under this tax bracket. We're going to max that tax bracket out. And then we're going to put these funds over here so we have more flexibility later in life, um, especially if we think taxes are going up, right. which I don't see how they don't lance with all all of the new I, 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 legislation yeah. they keep rolling out none of it is uh is tax friendly yeah uh, I, well and just with all the spending yeah you know and look i mean with interest rates where they are now um like on, on, on the not fed funds rates the 10-year interest rate right um you know the the financing cost of all the debt has just surged uh this year in particular so yeah at some point i just don't see how you 
you avoid higher taxes. Well, and at some point, that's probably why we would assume that we're going to see lower interest rates as well. Yeah. Because they can't service the debt. No. Yeah, it's all coming. Uh, (laughs) None of it's good, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Whole other issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, but anyway, uh, you know, just again, just, you know, some things to think about. Certainly encourage you, if you don't have a tax accountant, you know, this is, you may be leaving, you know, people, it's always interesting to me, people make these decisions based on, you know, cost, right? I don't want to have an advisor because I don't want to pay an advisor a cost. And then they wind up making really bad investment decisions, right? That cost them way more money than what the fee would have cost them. Same thing with an accountant. You know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people, personally, I know a lot of people, like they do not have an account. They do everything online, TurboTax, whatever. And they jump from system to system to system, depending on who's giving them a free year to file or whatever. Yeah. Whoever's the cheapest. Yeah and, yeah. and and you wind up actually leaving a lot more money on the table than the accountant would have cost you. And, you know, having a really good accountant that you can have a relationship with, that you can call, work through issues. And I'll tell you what, um, if if the the Republican Congress does not repeal the funding for the IRS, which happened under the, the last year of the Biden administration, and they do hire these other, you know, 1,200 or however many agents are going to hire. 80,000, I think. Yeah. Some crazy. Yeah. Some, some crazy number. Audits are going to be going up for individuals in those. And it's supposed to be like, we're just going to audit the rich. That's crap. They're going to audit everybody. Uh, so your risk of an audit goes up a whole lot, right? So if you have an accountant, a, a good CPA, they represent you in the audit if you do get audited. So, you know, there's a lot of be- <laughs> you get a lot of benefits of having a good accountant, a good doctor, a good lawyer. You know, think about those things, right? So it's it's always you know it's, we always think about things in terms of what can I save now, but sometimes trying to save a little bit of money now can cost you a whole lot of money later, and and talking about just tax filing and going into the year, filing RMDs and doing all these things. You know, we're all getting older and that baby boober generation is rapidly approaching, even though they keep moving the goalposts a little bit, you know, we're rapidly approaching that those critical dates where RMDs kick in, you know, it's open enrollment season right now for Medicare, Medicaid, you know, those type of things. In fact, that's probably something we should touch on kind of right after the break as well. So we'll come back with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive. 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me as well. Just end of the year, kind of, you know, getting ready to wrap things up now that the Thanksgiving holiday season is over. We've got basically, today's the last day of November, by the way. Tomorrow is the much dreaded wife's birthday. Um, <laughs> much dreaded, man. <laughs> Why is it dreaded? It's not. I was just, I was telling Brent yesterday, I, uh, she's very hard to buy for because you know she works she makes her own money so she buys everything she wants right so she's she's impossible to buy for so i took her shopping over the weekend and you know i told her we went i was telling the story yesterday we took her to Athleta. she bought four outfits it was like 700 dollars. whoa man. yeah um but if i took out a credit card i got 50 percent off so the whole thing wound up costing me like 300 bucks Cool. Pay the credit card off. Pay the credit card, cancel it. Cancel, right. yeah. yeah. So, but it tells you a lot about retail sales, by the way, because the $700 is, as I said yesterday, what's going to get reported is a $700 worth of sale, right? What's not reported is $300 actually spent, but that does show up on the bottom line of retail earnings because that's actually what they earned. So, so they're going to say that they sold something for $700, although they only collected $350. Yep. Yeah. Right. Because it comes through the credit cycle. Yeah. So, interesting. How is that not semi-fraudulent? Well, no, no, no. So it's it's not because again, like Adobe's the one, like you saw yesterday or day mm -hmm. before, Adobe yeah. comes out and says they they're the ones that track all the retail sales, and they go, oh, there was you know seven, uh, it was nine billion dollars, nine point two billion dollars worth of retail sales. Now that was up from last year's eight point nine, which was you know, down a little bit from the previous year's $9 billion. So we haven't really done any more sales over the course of the last three years, but $9.2 billion in sales is nominal. Subtract out 7.7% inflation, and you actually lost retail sales. But, like, again, what's actually, you know, what we actually bring up as a sell is what Adobe reports. What, show, what is actually paid is what shows up on earnings. So just keep that in mind. Retail sales may not be as strong as you think. Um, anyway, so real quick, back to the story. So, um, but that gives us one month now to wrap things up for the year. And uh, again, as we left off in the last segment, there's also open enrollment for Medicare, Medicaid plans, Medigap, all that type of stuff. Yeah, so this is a big thing I think many people overlook. In fact, studies show the Kaiser Foundation shows that only 29% of people actually shop Medicare plans. This is a time when if you're shopping, you're on Medicare, you want to see if there's another plan you need to move to. Uh, look at Medicare Advantage, Part D. There's 39 different Part D plans. Um, gives you an opportunity to shop that. That's one that I think that always needs to be shopped because you may find that they're going to switch subscriptions or what they cover on you, and you could be stuck with a pretty hefty bill. Now, there's some safeguards in to protect you uh, a lot more than what there used to be. However, this is a really big topic, and so you're leaving potentially thousands of dollars on the table by not looking at this. And this is something I don't get, Lance. This is easy. I mean, yep. in fact, Medicare.gov does a really good job on enabling you to get in and, and, and look at the sites. Now, be very cautious. There's Medicare, Medicare.org, Medicare.com. A lot of sites that, I'm not going to say they're fictitious because they're not, but it's not the same thing as Medicare.gov. Um, those guys are trying to sell you something where Medicare.gov is trying to provide you with information. So be careful when you, when you go and if you Google Medicare, a lot of stuff will come up. Uh, but... 
go in and shop. You have till December 7th. Historically, it's October 15th till about December 7th is when you can actually shop those plans. Don't leave money on the table. This is a real easy thing. It's low-hanging fruit. Go in, just see if they cover what they do, what they don't, and be cautious. You know, right now, Rich and I always talk about this a lot because, you know, his favorite actors of the, you know, 1950s and 60s are now selling, you know, Medicare Advantage plans. Take dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they're going to just went who? They're going to give you a, a, a fur coat or a, uh, an Apple Watch, or maybe you don't pay anything at all, but be cautious because, you know, you get what you pay for historically. And so a lot of times those are closed networks. We are seeing them where they've made some, uh, some strides in the right direction in the sense that, you know, it's not all HMOs anymore. There are some PPO plans. In fact, a lot of retiree medical plans are now Medicare Advantage. So just make sure you understand what you have. Because sometimes you you may not be able to switch back to original Medicare, and depending on if you contract an illness uh, where you need specific care, and you may want to go to the best of the best, they may not allow you within those closed networks. So be cautious. Um, and you know if you're not paying anything for it, or they're giving you that gym membership or an Apple Watch, yeah, you know you're probably there's there's a catch somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah, read the fine print. Yeah, read the fine print. Uh, real quick, uh, before we run out of time today, donor-advised funds. This is also the time of year to be thinking about donor-advised funds. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to doing that, particularly if you're in a higher net worth um, kind of category. Um, but this is the, you know, as again, this kind of goes back to that whole tax yep. preparation for the end of the year. But donor-advised funds can be something worth considering. Yeah, so donor-advised fund, this is a really neat tool. And you don't have to be a, an ultra-high net worth or high net worth individual to utilize this. This is somebody who has charitable intent, um, and you have a potential tax bill this year that you want to minimize. So you can always put to a donor-advised fund any year. And, and what's really neat is you can set one up at Fidelity or Schwab. We use those frequently. And what they do is they, they put the funds in for you. Um, let's say you have a highly appreciated stock. You could move that over. And you donate that. Now you're not paying the taxes. The charity is going to get those funds. And But the neat thing is, is that you can put these funds aside and then distribute them as you please. They do the due diligence, making sure it's 501c3, so you actually get that tax break. And then you only get, if you're going to give it to multiple institutions or charities, you're only going to get one tax bill where you're not going to have to chase one down from each one of them, you know, showing that you made that donation. Now, here's the kicker, Lance, is that mm -hmm. if you had... You know, like let's say that you worked at uh, a company that gave you, uh, you, you had the ability to do net unrealized depreciation. You retired this year, or you received a big uh, payout. You know, it could be a severance package, could be um, you know a supplemental pension plan, many different things. This is a great time to utilize this. And what we do is we call this we call this bunching or bundling. So let's say that historically, and I'm just making numbers up, you you contribute ten thousand dollars a year to charity. Or maybe it's, you know, it could be whatever amount you want to make it. But let's say that this year you have a really high tax burden and you received a lot of funds in just one year. You could contribute, say, 50 in one year to minimize your tax burden for this year, but then still give out to the charity 10000 each and every year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to bundle this from a tax perspective for this year because this year is going to be much higher than others. And so this is where, you know, we're talking about CPAs. This is where a good CPA can come in. Um help you determine what that amount would be that you need to set aside to offset and minimize your overall tax bill. This is where I find really good. So when we have that net unrealized depreciation, this is where we, you know, you pay ordinary income on the, on the cost basis. 
and then you're going to turn around put those funds these are funds that grow typically employee stock or employer stock excuse me inside of a 401k we're going to move it out to a brokerage account now but now you're only going to pay long-term capital gains but let's say you have stock that is at 100 bucks but you may have bought some at 10 we want to go in and, and be very def- definitive and say we want to take those lots or the shares that we bought at $10 a share and those shares you bought at 10, we want to move those into that donor advised fund. So that way you keeping, you're going to pay taxes on the one that you're not going to have nearly as big of a tax burden, but the lower, the, you know, the low cost basis, that's what we want to get out first. So a lot of flexibility here. Um, this is another thing I think that many people often overlook. They don't know about it or they hear just a little bit. It can be overwhelming. Work with somebody who has a little bit of understanding about this and who can point you in the right direction. And do not wait until December 31st to try to do this. Yeah. This is, what, this, is, this is what, uh, as opposed to an IRA, which you can kind of fiddle fart around with until, you know, April. Yeah. This is not one of those things you can do that with. Well, no, there, there's, there's moving parts. I mean, you're going to have to. And it takes time to set up. You're going to set this up. And then, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to see all these institutions. Number one, everybody's running on a skeleton crew, right? Because everybody's yep. taken off. But number two, it, it's going to take a little bit longer to set these things up. You're also going to have to figure out the logistics. You may already have, you may have to start putting some balls in motion now that you don't have just to get it done in time. So I would encourage everybody, if this is something that you are, you're, you're inclined to do, call your advisor, call your CPA. I would start working on it right now. And I would want, you know, we're telling all of our clients, we want any big major moves done by, you know, halfway through the month, the 15th, yeah. uh, just to make sure that, you know, everything gets done properly. We don't have anything that we're worried about. You guys can enjoy your holidays, and so can we as well. Yeah. Well, again, there's a lot of days that are going to be closed. Yeah. Markets are going to be closed. People are going to be off, and you don't want to get hung up, you know, trying to do something two days before New Year's Eve, and you can't get a hold of anybody to get it done. Right. Yeah. And so just – that's the stuff we needed done yesterday. Yeah. So if you need help, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. You can email me right there. There's a, there's a block at the top that says, ask a question. Just say, donor advised fund. I'll forward it to Danny. And Danny will answer them all, like, immediately. Like, as soon as you email it in, he gets it. Two seconds later, he'll answer you back with a full detailed description because he has nothing else to do. Yeah, I don't know. Lance, Lance <laughs> is a little quicker than I am when it comes to that. But, yeah. But no, he will, we, will, we will take care of you. So if you have a question about it, you're interested in donor advised fund, whatever, um, we're happy to help you out, answer questions, et cetera. Just go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, also, some positive thinking for the day. It's just 29 weeks till summer. So, uh, you know, got to start getting the bikini body, you know, back in shape already. Man, we're right smack dab in the middle of the holidays. Do <laughs> you think people are thinking about that? <laughs> oh, whatever. Everybody's just thinking like, hey, uh, you know well, what? Maybe I just, I'll go buy that other sweater. So, Danny, you it's, know I work out every day, right? Yeah. So, you say so you do, I, but yeah. So, but no, no, but, but wait, I, my wife is after me again. So, I, I lift weights four days a week, I run three days on the weekend. So, my wife has now signed me up because she wants me to go with her to Orange Theory. So, now I'm working out four days a week, running on the weekends, and doing Orange Theory fitness hey, four days a week. Hey, she's trying to tell you something? Like, hey, metabolism's so, slowing no, down. No, she's just like, this is something we could do together. I'm like, working out really isn't my thing, but okay. <laughs> you know. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm going to be eating a lot over Christmas. <laughs> I've got a buddy of mine who said he we you need to do some life insurance, and I saw him a while back. I said, "Hey, man, I thought we talked about you need to work out a little bit. Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, seems like we're having too many burgers." And he said, "Oh, it's just a shirt. It's I've got a shirt on underneath <laughs> this one." I said, "Get out of here, man." Yeah, yeah. 
I know how that goes. Yep, me yep. too, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, uh, wrap up the show for the day. Danny, thank you so much. Um, we'll be back tomorrow on Thursday. We'll talk about what Jerome Powell says today. We'll have Michael Leibowitz joining us for that. Uh, be sure to go by the website. Our latest blog post is out. Uh, Michael Leibowitz's new article is out as well. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.